Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Breakfast Pod, your weekly dose of gaming news. I'm your host, Steve, joined as always by my developer co-host, Blue. How's it going? I am tired. How are you? Also tired. Also tired, but the weekend is upon us, and I'm looking forward to playing a lot of a game that I'll talk about at the end of this episode. <laughs> How about yourself? <laughs> Foreshadowing. Ooh. Yeah, I, I'm keen to get down into games and finish them before rise yeah rise is just on the horizon yeah like that's looming over my head as a you better not have any plans for when this drops yeah yeah it's definitely uh and i have started a game that is about 200 hours long so Mm. um (laughs) let's uh let's kick off straight into the news and this is a bit of an interesting one we uh one of the podcasts that never made it to air because of technical issues, we actually decided not to talk about this game, but the statements that have come out in a month since, uh, we're going to talk about it a little bit. Uh, so six days in Fallujah is a supposed to be a hyper-realistic combat game set during, uh, you know, a quite famous battle that has been a mark on, I guess, America's combat history, mm-hmm. depending on who you talk to. Uh, in the Middle East, and this game has been in development for a very long time. I'm pretty sure it was floating around about five or six years ago. Uh, A publisher had it. I can't remember the name of the publisher right now, but they decided to drop it. The the person pushing for it claims to have been pushing for this for 15 years. Yeah. Yeah, I can't... I want to say it was Konami, but I don't remember, so let's not go on record with that but there was a publisher attached and Mm -hmm. then there was a bit of public backlash and the game wasn't coming together this is years ago Mm -hmm. so it was dropped and then for some reason it's resurfaced recently in a very near complete state is when we first saw it immediately like not a not a oh we finally did it it's a yeah we this is it's basically done it'll be out this year here's a here's the trailer like kind of thing yeah so it's coming through victura uh who's a publishing arm and last month, uh, Peter Tamty, who's the, the head of that publishing arm, who's been the champion of this project for a long time, was going around saying that this is uh, not a political game, <laughs> which infamously is the most- at this point saying that. Yeah. Yeah. Which is ridiculous, which is mm. ridiculous considering the, uh, the issues that happen around this mm. particular battle, these six days. Mm. Um, I, so to be clear here, the reason we didn't want to talk about this before is because neither of us have any kind of relationship with this and this is a charged ish statement so absolutely like neither of us are american i don't know the specifics exact well i do know more about it now because of this controversy but like this is not something that i claim to be knowledgeable on and the other reason that we didn't want to cover is like everyone else was covering it and Mm. they were in better positions to talk about this than we were definitely But basically, to paraphrase, he was just coming out like, this is not at all a political game at all. Uh, And then now the publisher has released a statement walking that back completely. Mm -hmm. I'm just trying to find the quote that came from him, a quote from his interviews last month. Very few people are curious what it's like to be an Iraqi civilian. Nobody's going to play that game, but people are curious what it's like to be in combat. It's the same reason people play survival horror games being in a situation that is beyond what we have in our normal lives. Ultimately, the reason why people are going to play this game is because they want a more realistic combat experience. 
That, above all else, is the experience that we must deliver. Oh, I so want to meet him in person. He is such a hero to me, and Jesus... (laughs) Uh, but and yeah. this is also coming from like when he was asked if they're gonna you know have white phosphorus in there he's like well that hasn't been shown from the evidence of the people we yeah. spoke to yeah. yeah so very selective in what they are going to show in this gritty realistic mm-hmm. experience yeah um but the quote from the publisher that came out uh just a few days ago we understand the events recreated in six days in fallujah are inseparable from politics here's how the game gives voice to a variety of perspectives. The stories mm-hmm. in Six Days in Fallujah are told through gameplay and documentary footage featuring service members and civilians with diverse experiences and opinions about the Iraq War. So far, 26 Iraqi civilians and dozens of service members have shared the most difficult moments of their lives with us so we can share them with you in their words. The documentary segments discuss many tough topics including the events and political decisions that led to the Fallujah battles, as well as their aftermath. While we do not allow players to use white phosphorus as a weapon during gameplay, its use is described during the documentary segments. During gameplay, players will participate in stories that are given context through the documentary segments. Each mission challenges players to solve real military and civilian scenarios from the battle interactively, offering a perspective into urban warfare not possible through any other media. We believe the stories of this generation's sacrifices deserve to be told by the Marines, soldiers, and civilians who were there. We trust you will find the game, like the events it recreates, to be complex. I am willing to bet my bottom dollar that it will not be complex at all, and it will just be a hoorah, bro, shoot em up with a documentary Mm -hmm. attached that is loosely tied into it. Like, this. There's so many problems with all of this. <laughs> yeah, and and a lot of it I just don't really want to touch other people with much better perspectives and contexts. Have spoken at length about it um, over a number of different places, podcasts, Twitter, all kinds of places. So if you're interested, definitely do some research and like get a better and more holistic view of this. But on the surface, this... Nothing so far that we've seen can lead me to believe that this is going to be this amazing statement. It's going to be a video game. And that's not a bad thing, but trying to dress it up like it's going to be something grand. We've seen games from, from, you know, Vietnam and stuff like that much earlier in this whole war game cycle that we're in now. But the thing with World War II in particular is like that's... Yeah. This is weird to say, but enough time has passed... They're not really telling personal stories here. They're telling the bigger story and it's always like the, Mm. you know, for the most part, American ideal of we won the war and we defeated evil. Like, that's an easy story to get behind. But when we're talking about Mm. a battle where many of Mm. these people are still alive and their families are dealing with the fallout and the grief and particularly the area that this battle took place is still in a lot of civil and military unrest... It's like, why? what are you going to bring to this conversation except for tension mm-hmm. or people reliving that? Like, it, it just doesn't make any sense to me. What Call of Duty has done so well in the past, because, like, I'm at this weird point now where I just don't like war games at all, but at least Call of Duty are fictionalized settings and battles and things. Not, not a realistic thing. Exactly. Yeah. Very, yeah, they, they went out of their way. Yeah, went out of their way to say, look, we, we don't want to 
we don't want to deal with the the baggage of saying that this was a real event because when you do something like that you have this responsibility to do something right and at the end of the day you're a video game developer you you were allowed to say there are aspects here and elements that inspired something for better or for worse and let's hone in on that as opposed which is a very different statement from saying we really want to tell the stories like respectfully of all the struggles and strife and convey this living breathing experience to yeah, players. Yeah, it's that it's kind of wild. And ambitious. like this just goes back like in this statement they confirm that hey, you won't be able to use white phosphorus mm. but people are going to be talking about it in the documentary whereas his interviews last month the quotes here I'm seeing uh, uh we're not asking players to commit atrocities in the game. Are we effectively sanitizing events by not doing that? I don't think that we need to betray the atrocities in order for people to understand the human cost. Isn't that why he, they're saying they're making this game? To betray what happened? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, again, we're not the right people to say this, but, you know, the very, the very common thing that people have said in response to that is, if you read between the lines, what they're saying is the human cost of non-Americans isn't worth talking about. Anyway... As you said, and we've said, we're not fully equipped to talk about this, but even as people who aren't equipped to talk about it, it makes me really mad. Like, this is a good, this is not good for games. This is not good for storytelling. This is not good for the people involved. Mm. And I doubt it's going to be good for this publisher, but we'll see. Who knows? Maybe they come out and it is this amazingly moving thing. Hey, yeah, there, there is still... There is still room for this to be a, a landmark milestone piece of history uh, and in, in media and entertainment and in um, record keeping. There is still that possibility until the game actually launches. But I think that they've set themselves up in this position where people have to look at them and judge them for what they've done here because these statements are so grandiose. Yeah, it's a, it's a bit disappointing. So... Pay attention and judge them because they're asking to be judged by saying things like this. Speaking of judgment, developer V1 Interactive, the studio that was founded by Halo co-creator Marcus Leto, is closing down. How? Wait, no, I want to... You, you can't do that. How is this speaking of judgment? Because the players have judged that disintegration <laughs> was not good enough to purchase. I see. So less than, see. Uh, less than a year after the launch of its debut game... Uh, Understood. They're, they're closing the doors. It sucks. Six out of ten segments. Yeah, I, I was trying. I was trying, man. <laughs> Six out of ten. <laughs> you tried. You tried. Yeah. Uh, but more to the point, yes, it absolutely sucks whenever a studio is forced into this position. Um, and, you know, it's it, from the sounds of it, it's a studio that's been together for five years and has put a lot of effort into making something new and exciting and a things don't land, though. Sometimes it just happens. Yeah, so basically Disintegration came out. They've been working on it for a long time. Like V1 Interactive have been together for five years or so. Uh, but the game only mm. came out uh, last year, I think it was. Um, yeah, And it was met with kind of lukewarm reception. I never actually played it. It had a single player component and it was relying heavily on multiplayer um, that had real money mm. in game store, transactions, that sort of thing. 
Uh, and it just never got an audience. So they actually ended that support in November last year, which was five months after the game came out. And then, yes, this week they've announced that they'll be shutting down. The official statement on Twitter, I'm just going to read the paraphrase quote here in Eurogamer. We're sad to inform you that V1 Interactive is officially closing. We want to thank all the talented people at V1, both past and present, who helped make the last five years wonderful, and a heartfelt thanks to the amazing community that did support us. And then the studio head, Leto, who, you know, like, leaving, especially leaving someone like Bungie and making your own studio is not an easy decision to make. So then to see your baby kind of close after just releasing its first project, like, that's not going to be easy for for. Uh, Marcus. Definitely. But he did a statement on his Twitter. At V1, our priority has always been the well-being of our employees. We've been transparent with them about the state of things for months and are making this decision now so that they will still have ample time to search for new jobs while still being supported by our studio. So it sounds like the writing's on the wall and what typically has happened a lot in the games industry is management hides that and just keeps pretending things are fine. Yep. Um, especially like when you're chasing deals to keep things alive and sometimes those deals don't come through and then that's when you get in situations where everyone's fired overnight. Um, so it does Mm -hmm. sound like they're going about this the right way, even though it is a little sad, Mm. but, uh, yeah, that's, that's where we're at for V1 Interactive. A kind of small lesson here to like consumers is, uh, games as a service, which is so common now there's only so much space in the market for it and we're very quickly hitting that saturation point so as a consumer this is where your dollar matters like really starts to matter yeah absolutely like we we have big proponents of if you play free to play games and you like them you should at least try and support them a little Mm -hmm. bit now i don't think disintegration was free to play um and that's where it gets even murkier right because yeah, because in your mind, you, you, you did pay yeah. for it. it yeah. But, you know, then the developers put this, like, very hard model on themselves where the game has to keep earning money from players who've already invested uh, quite substantially, right? Disintegration was not a small title. Yeah. So, so it's, yeah, it's always sad to see, but hopefully Leto ends up somewhere that uh, can let him... Hopefully the, the, the team yeah. ends up in a good place after this. Yeah. yeah. So good luck to everyone. Yeah. Absolutely. So another studio bites the dust. I don't have a segue for this one. I was was trying to find something, but here we go. Uh, Rust has uh, had a bit of a problem. Um, And no, I'm not talking about the toxic community. There was a massive (laughs) server fire for their EU servers. The, uh, I guess the server farm uh, of a data center that all of their EU servers are located in uh, Strasbourg caught Mm -hmm. fire. And all the staff were forced to evacuate. And thankfully, there were no injuries there, but they've lost massive amounts of data. Uh, They have given an update overnight, actually, by the looks of it. We have confirmed a total loss of the affected EU servers during the OVH data center fire. We're now exploring replacing the affected servers. Unfortunately, data will be unable to be restored. So... Anyone who had like Rust servers running with Persistent Worlds and all of that stuff, which I know that people who are into Rust are really into Rust and pretty much only play Rust, um, it's gone. Your stuff's gone. I'm sorry. Well, if you were there, if you were, yeah, if you're in the EU, um, using their stuff, yeah, or even if, yeah, 
Yeah. Uh, but by the looks because of this, you might be hosting your yeah, own server. Yeah, yeah. By the looks of it, the official um, server base, I guess, is all hosted in the same Correct. place. Correct. Uh, and and I, I do believe some um, some of the community servers would also piggyback on these official servers. So there's definitely a lot of loss of data here, which is very, very sad and unfortunate. I will point out that the OVH data center fire does not affect just Rust. It is a massive data center that caters to a lot of different kinds of uh, customers. This is the one that's most visible within the video game space. However, I saw a statement from Newgrounds that said that, um, you know, an EU server fire i presume it's the same one because how often do these things yeah. happen uh cause the loss of some of their services temporarily uh in the case of newgrounds they were fortunate enough that all their backups were uh, distributed and they didn't lose any data however the loss of the data the data centers um disrupted service for a few hours so if you've noticed some of your um favorite you know sites or services being uh, slightly interrupted earlier this week. This is potentially part of why. Yeah, so it's a, it's a little bit crazy. Now, something I'm very excited about. I'm extremely excited about this. Uh, there's a new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles game coming out. It's called Shredder's Revenge, and it's a side-scrolling retro beat-em-up that's based on Turtles in Time, which is one of my favorite Super Nintendo games ever. And mm-hmm. it's coming to PC and consoles sometime in the future. The other thing that's exciting about this is .mu or .emu. The team that do, they do a lot of Neo Geo ports for the Switch and other, I think the PS4. They're also the publisher behind Windjammers 2. They're very ingrained in retro gaming, particularly in the Neo Geo scene. I think they're based in France. Mm. I'm like 99% sure they're based in France. Um, But they really care and understand retro games and sensibilities. And it's exciting to see them sort of jump into this kind of, well, we're going to take games that you love and make new iterations of it and make them more modern, like, which is what they've done with Windjammers. They haven't yeah. just put new characters in Windjammers. They've actually developed new ideas and sensibilities for for the sequel. Um, so I'm very excited to see what they mm-hmm. do with a classic Ninja Turtles arcade beat em up. Um, and the interesting thing is it's a, uh, a, a, a partnership with Tribute Games who created Flint Hook which is a very, very popular game on the Switch. I haven't actually played it, but I've heard nothing but good things. And they also made Mercenary Kings. So it sounds like a really good sort of match here from, you know, a publisher that's worked on, you know, Streets of Rage 4, as I said, Windjammers 2, Wonder Boy, The Dragon's Trap, which also another game that was uh, very well received. Um, so, yeah, I'm I'm very super well. excited for this because the last Ninja Turtles game uh, from Platinum was, you know, yeah. <laughs> Uh, and the game looks good. Definitely has... Brawlers are making a, a, a return. Yeah, right? Like, like we, we mentioned this before. They're calling back in a good way. I'm, I, I think what's happening is that I'm realizing, yeah, probably not my kind of game. But I'm super happy for the people who love it. Because for a very long time you weren't getting anything new in this space yeah i'm not a huge fan so. of beat-em-ups i've never have been like double dragon i remember growing up with that and i never like ninja turtles was pretty much the only one i liked and it was probably just because i yeah. love the ninja turtles um yeah the ip and like you know i've i did scott pilgrim with uh seamus on the pixel bites podcast recently and it was cool to revisit mm. that but i wouldn't say i love that game like it's a beat-em-up but mm. um but you got you know river city ransom River City Girls and yep. all of that stuff. Um, girls. Yeah. So. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's it's good to see totally. some of these retro um, things. Uh, you know, getting with, with like high quality, high production value yeah. to make it look as good as like the turtles look good in this game. 
which they don't always <laughs> in the media that yeah. they're in. So I'm, so I'm excited. I'm definitely going to jump into this. I mean, Battletoads even. Like, I know that game cops a lot of flack, but yeah. that game, I loved that game. I loved that game a lot. Take risks, update things, and sometimes you get Battletoads, and that's actually really fine because Battletoads is not for the old Battletoads heads, and I think that people maybe didn't realize that. Yeah. I think Battletoads is, like, definitely inspired by Rick and Morty. It's got that Rick and Morty vibe to it. Mm. Um, it's very tongue-in-cheek. Maybe. It's Yeah, I don't know. I really like that game. I don't care. I don't care if you don't. I like it. So <laughs> there, There's genuinely a lot of room for narrative storytelling in the beat-em-up format. Yeah. Uh, as I watched a, a playthrough of River City Girls, I kind of realized that that there there is a lot that you can do to tell a, a good story in that format. Uh, and I don't, yeah, like with so many genres, it's, it's still young. Like it's an old genre at this point, but I don't think we've done enough to really innovate the space. It's so like, um, I'm not saying TMNT will like be crazy about yeah, it. Yeah. It's kind of like point and click adventures, right? Like they were yeah. around and then they died completely. And then Telltale were like, well, we're going to do that, but different. And look at what that did. And they ran that into the ground. Like it was a guitar hero property, but, <laughs> um, like it's kind of a similar thing for beat-em-ups, right? Like, they were the hot thing in the early 90s, and then they were kind of just gone. And you occasionally get one or two here. And, mm. like, I definitely think there is room for that, hey, here's, you know, for lack of a better term right now, the telltale moment where we've taken that formula and done something very different with it. I could definitely see some sort of beat-em-up ARPG kind of mashup thing that could work really well. But anyway, that's... We should decide a design podcast or something. Um, moving on. <laughs> yeah. uh, so Microsoft, we all know that they had uh, put in the bid and everything to buy Bethesda and it was a done deal. But there also had to be a bunch of like commission checks and security commissions and they have all been completed and approved, which means mm. that Microsoft uh, owns officially uh, ZeniMax and Bethesda ZeniMax and all media. the attached studios and properties. And big surprise, big surprise, Phil Spencer comes out and has confirmed that the future Bethesda games will be exclusive to platforms where Game Pass exists, which is a very, very choice set of words there. Uh, This was revealed, uh, there's a Xbox and Bethesda roundtable event. And uh, during that, Spencer, uh, you know, kind of hit the nail on the head. Uh, in response to questions about, you know, uh, Bethesda exclusivity and things like that. I see it in the community. I listen to the podcasts and all of the questions. So I'm going to try and be as clear as I can because I think that's just fair. Obviously, I can't sit here and say every Bethesda game is exclusive because we know that's not true. There's contractual obligations that we're going to see through. We have games that exist on other platforms and we're going to go and support those games on the platforms they're on. There's communities of players and we love those communities and we will continue to invest in them. And even in the future, there might be either contractual things or legacy on different platforms that will go do. But if you're an Xbox customer, the thing I want you to know is that this is about delivering great exclusive games for you that ship on platforms where Game Pass exists. And that's our goal. And that's why we're doing this. That's the root of this partnership that we're building And the creative capability we'll be able to bring to market for Xbox customers is going to be the best it's ever been for Xbox after we're done here. And the interesting thing about his choice of words here is where Game Pass is available because Mm -hmm. like 
we have heard persistent rumors about Game Pass coming to a Nintendo Switch via xCloud streaming. And yep. just recently for the early adopter alpha ring uh, Xbox um, members, they get like super early firmware and updates and software updates for their consoles. They've put uh, the Chromium version of Edge onto the Xbox, which means you'll be able to use uh, streaming services such as GeForce Now, Steam streaming, and also xCloud, if for some reason you wanted to do that. It's possible. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, is this his way of being like, well, PlayStation, if you want this stuff, you got to let us put X xCloud. It has to be a thing on the PS5 if you want Elder Scrolls or whatever that is. Like... It's very interesting because mm. it doesn't shut the door completely for any platform. It's it's very practiced CEO speak here. I think Phil Spencer's so good at it though. Like he, yeah, he no no he he's he's like masterclass at feeling like a developer, yeah. but speaking in a super neutral yeah. tone because he's not a developer. He's he's a CEO. He's a head, yeah yeah yeah. He's a head of Xbox. You know like. He has to be so careful with anything he says. And um, you're exactly right. This is leaving it vague on purpose. Yep. It has to say where Game Pass is. Because that's what they're pushing now. Game Pass is the is the current Microsoft darling. For good reason. Yeah, absolutely. And Because, uh, I mean, this brings Bethesda straight to your iPhone, your Android device, your tablet, potentially your Switch. I mean, who knows? Yeah. They could put this thing on the Oculus Quest in some some future thing like you know there's so many different mm-hmm. avenues they can go down thanks to xcloud mm-hmm. however from a consumer perspective you should read between the lines uh for the for the near to medium term future yeah uh, any new titles announced by anything under zenimax will be um xbox family exclusive. Yeah. not xbox exclusive but xbox family exclusive. yeah for now which i don't know why you would expect anything different for seven and a half billion dollars. Yeah, exactly. So, like, uh, good to have this. They have the contractual stuff with Ghostwire Tokyo and all of those things. Um, Deathloop as well as a PS5 exclusive. Mm. But after that, mm-hmm. like, why would you? Yep. Like, I can definitely see them in yeah. a world uh, that, you know, um, like we had a Rise of the Tomb Raider, the second one, I think it was, it was an Xbox exclusive for 12 months. Mm-hmm. I could yep. potentially see something like, okay, the new Elder Scrolls is Xbox exclusive for two years. Like, yep. I could definitely see them like, okay, these people who two years later are not going to come to Game Pass, um, we're gonna we're mm-hmm. just gonna release it and pick up that revenue. Yeah, because you want but the money. people are gonna buy. I can it. also just see them not doing that because then it's like, nah, if you want this stuff, you like because those people could also they don't need to buy an Xbox; they could just get Game Pass on their phone. Yeah, so it's like this interesting thing where they probably don't even need to bring it to PlayStation to have people who don't own Xboxes be able to play those games. Like, Mm -hmm. if you've got a PS5 and you have it, you don't even need a good PC, right? If you have a PS5 and New Elder Scrolls comes out and you're like, oh, man, that sucks, you can plug your PS5 controller Mm -hmm. into your laptop and stream it. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, does your PC run YouTube? You can probably exactly, play it. and that's the interesting thing, right? Unlike what Sony has up, you know, coming up against is uh, if I want to play Last of Us Two, I have to go buy like a five hundred dollar PlayStation Five right now. Okay, well, not that game. Only option, right? But my only option is to go uh, buy that PlayStation the new, console. New Horizon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and even if I wanted to do that, I can't do that. 
right now because there's no stock and there's not going to be stock for like the rest of the year yep. apparently. So it's interesting. The yep. barrier for me to get those exclusives is like 12 bucks a month and having a phone or a Chromebook, yep. right? Much mm-hmm. easier. Definitely. I think, I don't know. I don't think Sony's in trouble, but I definitely like as more wow. of this is starting to happen, it's like, well done, Microsoft. You've played that long game so yeah. well. They're they're in a very very good position. I will say this in on the Sony side. Uh, if you ever look at their documentation, their internal values, if you ever kind of speak to them, uh, not that I've spoken to anyone from Sony personally, but there is definitely an undercurrent of yeah, we're dealing with these because we like cool games too, and we want them to be on our platforms. But our core are the single player experiences that they you know go out of their way to seek so sony is in the market they want to be like for a lot of consumers this looks like microsoft has closed off a lot of doors for sony but i think from a sony fan perspective sony has what they want like god of war ragnarok is gonna be god of war ragnarok one way or the other you know so that's my perspective on it at least um i don't think you're right. I don't think they're hurting. Uh, and I don't think they're wriggling. They're, like, there's going to be pressure from fans to get this to happen. But Sony are a relatively typical Japanese company and are relatively insulated from a lot of these kinds of outcries. So Yeah, well, there's actually like a big shift in Sony culture um, where for the first time ever, they don't really care about Japan as market. All of their mm. internal documentation, all of their marketing, everything That's is based true. North America or Europe, uh, which is yeah that, that is has true. never that been the uh, that has never been the norm the there. Also, their entire like head team is like they're making global studios now. They're not having they're not separating Japan and Europe and America like they used to. So there is a big culture shift going on there. But at the end of the day, mm. like whoever Sony wants to buy, Microsoft can come in and just flatten their deal. They don't have the capital. They just don't. Um, like, PlayStation is mm. a relatively small division of Sony also, where yep. Microsoft is treating Xbox as, like, it's as important as Windows. Like, they have that financial yep. footing and backing, and they have the server infrastructure to back up all of these things. Um, so, mm. it's it's pretty interesting because while some companies would, you know, choose to go, especially Japanese companies, would choose to go to Sony for their, you know, th- they offer them ten million for a studio, whatever. Microsoft could come in and be like, "Yeah, we'll give you like five hundred million. Done. Let's just lock this up." I think some would still choose mm. Sony just for that pedigree, but many wouldn't. I think a lot would still yeah. choose. Uh, game studios and development and embracer groups and and megacorps and everything. It's all getting weird. It's all getting real weird now. Yeah, yeah. I think the big takeaway from all of this is that Phil Spencer listens to our podcast. Yeah, I think so. And Daddy Phil, you should yeah, because that, that's I'm always spruiking that game pass, mate. That's that's probably the real thing in yeah, this story. I think so. So, you know, we have about seven listeners per episode, and I think Phil's definitely one of them. So a new studio has uh, popped up, and their name is Silver Rain Games, and their core is to build a diverse team. From their learnings at their previous studio, Ubisoft. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. As we all know, Ubisoft has not been a, uh, you know, a desirable place to work for quite some time now. 
uh, and has had a lot of issues with, you know, diversity and inclusivity and all of those things. So Silver Rain Games has been co-founded by, uh, now I'm going to mess up this name, Abubakar Salim, I think. Uh, I would pronounce it Abubakar Salim. Yep, okay. Uh, and that he was the, uh, the model and voice of Bayek from Origins. And some mm-hmm. people will know him from the uh, HBO series Raised by Wolves. And the other co-founder mm. is Melissa Phillips. And Melissa, <laughs> Melissa, <laughs> you made you made me look there. And I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> yes, Melissa. Phillips. Yeah. So uh, it's an interesting studio. They've literally built it to you know combat some of the issues that they had at, at Ubisoft and try and create interesting and diverse games, which is very exciting, especially with high profile people mm. uh, attached to the studio. And one of them is like. In a HBO series, like that gets eyes and funding on this thing. Um, when someone is willing to put their name on a studio like this, especially if they're a, a creative by trade, that means that they're staking reputation on it. Absolutely. Right. So. Be um, and like they, they formed the studio during or just before the first lockdown from the pandemic started. And the whole studio is going to be remote. Um, it's, it's an active choice that was, you know, Kind of their hand was forced, but they call out here specifically Moon Studios, who are the developers behind Ori and the Blind Forest, who are famously a remote mm. studio. They all work in different countries. I don't think they'd ever met in person before Ori came out. I think I remember reading stories about that. Um, yep. Yep. So, yeah, we're, we're going to see some of that. And the interesting thing here is EA is going to be funding their first game. Uh, so... They will not be bought by EA, uh, but it's going to be uh, released under the EA Originals label, which is where games yep. like A Way Out and Sea of Solitude have been living. And like, I've really enjoyed EA trying some of these original projects, even though they like- Good pedigree. I think A Way Out is horribly flawed, but I'm so glad it exists, <laughs> you know? A Way Out is flawed because nothing else is like it. And so it has to, like, it has to be the one that makes these mistakes. Yeah. I right. think on, the, on paper, it was a great idea. Uh, the writing was just very sloppy, um, but it was still fun. Like, it was the, my the, kind of sloppy. Writing is Yeah, totally. Uh, I think it, I wouldn't say sloppy. I would say schlocky. Yeah, yeah, sure. Possibly <laughs> to a fault, right? Like, possibly to a fault. I actually think the mechanics, in a way out, are inspired, like, in a lot yeah, of Yeah, for ways. sure. Just... I mean, was, wasn't um, Brothers A Tale so of Two good. Sons? Wasn't that the same developer? That, I don't know that off the top of my head, but I would not be surprised. Yeah, because I think it was like the idea of, well, you're two characters and you have to work together is like being the core theme yep. of that studio. And it was interesting. Yep. They could have just made yeah. Brothers 2, but they made this like, hey, have you seen Heat? Yeah. Do you like Heat? Well, we made Heat the game and it's real 70s and 80s and it's real just bad but good, you know? Yep. And they made that a game yep. and I like that a lot. We we talked about like making a statement. Mm-hmm. Like, I think a way out's ending is a really great statement on like narrative and like uh, how dedicated we are to a game giving you multiple endings and stuff like that. Hmm. I never finished it. I maybe s- even maybe we should pass like second. Yeah, maybe. I'd be-, I'd be super down. I've never played it. I've just seen a lot of it, and I think that I I think it's actually a really really solid narrative experience as a whole. Maybe yeah. we should uh, do that as a YouTube stream. People listening to the podcast can tune in. Yeah, let us know if you think that's, a, that's something you'd like be interested yeah. in. Yeah, hit us up on the Discord. Ah, get, 
Get the interaction. Let's yeah. go. And we're going to close out the news with something that just... Oh, wait, no, no, hang on. Before we... We should also point out we know nothing about Silver Rain... Uh, Silver Rain's game yet. Yes, This correct. is just an announcement. So that's a small red flag when they announce the people on it before the yep. game. Small red flag. Just a little bit. But hopefully it'll be The, the only yeah, reason why it's not good. a huge red flag for me is that EA have put money down. So they, they must... Th- yeah, there's at least a design doc somewhere, you would think. Hopefully. <laughs> hopefully. Hey, look... If you spent a year making a design document, that's really yeah, good. Yeah, absolutely. Like, that means you really care about the design and you have the, the freedom to be a bit loose with uh, your timeline. Really good thing, if that's where this is. If they spent a year making a design doc and then going to EA and, and pitching, or like going to publishers and pitching, give us the money to do this, that is actually more like how good studios are run than people might understand. Of You know, it's really good if you can have a prototype and go to a publisher and say, here's version 0.001 but sometimes what it takes is to get the right people in the meeting and sometimes what that takes is the right name on your company Mm. so yeah absolutely so it'll be exciting to see what comes out of this and finishing up on a really high note makes me so so happy because really love this game loop hero has sold over five hundred thousand copies at its first week it's uh just absolutely killing it. It's a wonderful game. And as a result, it sounds like we're getting a lot more loop hero out of it. Uh, a mm. statement from uh, the developer. Uh, right now, we're working on patches with quality of life updates that you asked for, including a system for saving during run expeditions, new speed settings, and a deck of traits gained from bosses. After that, you can expect to see lots more content added to the game, such as new cards, classes, and transformations. We can't wait to share more updates with you all soon. Super cool, because it's a really good game that's really hard to describe. Go check out my video preview of it from a few months ago. Um, but yeah, mm. I think everyone should, who has an interest in RPGs and deck builders, uh, but light on the deck building element, should go check this game out, because it's rad. It's really rad. 500,000 is such an insane number. Yeah. And it's just, it's really good to see, like, two games that I see everyone talking about right now a Valheim and Loop Hero. Valheim and Loop And Hero. both of them yep. are tiny studios and both of them are just killing yep. it and I love it. And it makes me really happy. I want to remind people of this very sad statistic, which is that as of a, a few years ago now, this statistic is old, but it said something like um, for as many indies as there are, indie games as there are on Steam, um, all indie games were bought by about three percent of the like steam user base or something like that it was such a sad statistic so that is to say the people there's a lot of people on steam first of all um so even if it's a small percentage don't don't quote me on three percent it was a very small percentage but even if it's a small percentage that's still a large amount of people uh what i'm trying to get at is indie games feel like they're everywhere now for people who are looking at them but for the average consumer indie games don't exist So it takes standout numbers like Loop Hero and like Valheim to really start to make indie games viable in the longer term. Uh, because if we don't get numbers like this every so often, th- this 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 sub industry doesn't exist. Yeah. Yeah, we can't. We can't. And I mean it. that is true we for for everything in games, right? Like yeah, 
Yeah. The reason we talk about Six Days in Fallujah is for 90% of people out there, they won't even hear of that game until it's on a storefront. Right? Yeah. Um, it's a big part of why I have a massive problem with the Final Fantasy VII remake in that unless <laughs> you follow gaming news, chances are you did not know that that was part one of a series yeah. and that's the type of flagship title that people who aren't super into gaming anymore would go buy a console for potentially because they're like oh i'm reliving my childhood and then yeah. like find out that it's part one and you're feeling real good because you're like 60 hours in and you're like how am i only a tenth of the way through the game oh the yeah. game's over and like the argument against that is like oh well they did one blog post and then they announced it the week before and i'm like the majority of people don't see that stuff. The majority of people yep. just are like, I'm turning on my PlayStation for the first time in four months because I've heard there's a new Call of Duty out. Oh, look, there's this thing, right? <laughs> like, even for the people who listen to this podcast, like, we are definitely in a minority of people who follow gaming news. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and if you get your news from us, well, you know, we have individually ourselves our own small niche of news sources. You just can't know everything. Exactly. It's impossible. Exactly. Anyway, that's the news. We celebrate what we can. It was a pretty good week. Blue. Pretty cool. I'm looking at the games you've played here. I'm liking what I'm seeing. Let's have a little chat about it. Okay. (laughs) All right. I am continuing to play Persona 5 Strikers. You know, because we do a weekly thing where we like catch up now, I can go. I didn't make as much progress this Uh week. I am only at 30... Two hours, oh, as opposed to the 20 I was uh-huh, last week. Uh-huh. I think it's just been a busy work week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, been pretty flat out. Still enjoying it? Th- this game, this, I, there, I, there was a good, like, five hours where I felt like the game was nonstop um, plot. And it, that's not true. Like, you know, when I, like, sit down and, like, look back at what actually happened, there was a lot of game, like, you know, dungeon diving and fighting in between. But it, it felt like I hit a point in the game where I was like, oh, I've hit the stride in the game. I know what the flow of this is like. And then it just went, no, bam, 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 plot, plot, plot. <laughs> and it's so cool. Games that can change pace are rare and gems. And this game did it in a way that not many other Persona games even have done it. So super respected for that everything i'm hearing about this game from you and from other podcasts like it sounds like saying it's a a muso game is a little disingenuous Mm -hmm. because of how much persona is actually in there would you agree with that uh the statement is true and i think that statement is only worth saying when you come from a perspective of primarily playing persona only Yeah, yeah yeah sure because Persona has had crossovers before. The primary one that I'm thinking of when I say this is Persona Q. Uh, Persona Q is, in fact, the reason I bought a 3DS. Yeah, I was about to say, that's the 3DS chibi Persona game, right? Yeah, yeah. That is a crossover of Persona and Etrian Odyssey. Okay, so that, that, that is, again, a crossover of Persona with another game's formula. And, yeah, that game is heavily Persona with mechanically... Um, Etrian Odyssey gameplay so yes like yeah you're right it's very heavily Persona but that's why players bought into this game because it's heavily Persona you know yeah I've just seen a lot of people talking about how yeah and these are people who have played a lot of Persona that the the Mm -hmm. combat is 
like you're still summoning in your personas and stuff like that. It's not like Age of Calamity where you're just slamming square or whatever all the time. Like, um, would you agree with that or? Yeah, 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 yeah. So uh, spatial knowledge and being able to read what your the opponent is doing is actually super important. I actually uh, have, this is a small criticism. It doesn't work super well on the small switch screen because of the decision to how dark the entire game is. It actually chooses to be a bit darker than Persona 5 in general was, from memory at least. Uh, it's been a while since I played Persona 5. And some of this translates to certain enemies are a bit hard to read on the switch handheld mode. Uh, but I know that's not the primary way a lot of people are playing this. Um, as far as like mashing, because that's how you do a lot of musos. Uh, yeah, that's that's very true. Insofar as you have to control the amount of like weaknesses you're piling on the enemy, that is the best way to play the game. However, you don't need to do that if you don't want to. You can brute force your way through the game, and it's fun. I. You know how in um, Age of Calamity you can like hold the Sheikah Slate buttons and then you kind of pause as you or like slow down as you select which Sheikah Slate yeah, yeah, you yeah. pick up? That's what using a persona is like. Right. Interesting. Because I've just heard so it's not a that few people different. being like, I kind of wish that they would refine that and move persona like the next one into a this kind of combat. I would hate <laughs> this combat is like from from a variety of perspectives but one of the th- concessions you make is that this game is a lot shallower um on the mechanical party setup side than persona is you know when you take away turn base mm-hmm. because you you just don't have you you should be looser right you should mm-hmm. be the game's developers knew exactly what they were doing and they developed an amazing game for the genre that this game is in if you want this to, to be the direction persona is going uh, my advice to you is go and play Final Fantasy because that's what happened to Final Fantasy. It went from a turn-based thing to this action-based thing, right? Mm-hmm. Go play Remake. It, it's Remake is supposedly very good with its combat for this style of like active but also still have a bit of menu in it. There, if yeah, if that's what you're like super on board for the the mechanics of this, there are games out there for you. Um, and if you haven't tried Remake, totally go and try Remake. Uh, but this is super good for Persona. And I like seeing this breath of fresh air in for these characters that I know so well. And I think that the, the story is so good. The story is so good. I can't wait to get more of this story. And the characterizations are so faithful and so fun to be able to pick up where we left off. And you don't have the same character growth anymore. In fact, a lot of the main cast don't character grow anymore because they're, they, they did it. Their arc was done in the first game, right? Mm-hmm. So they don't have to do more. Uh, and we get new characters instead and smaller stories, more personal stories in exchange. So yeah, I think it's good. Um, I, I have nothing but praise for it. But like, yeah, weird statements like, I, this is the best person has ever played. It's like, I think that just means you like Muso, but only when it's dressed up a certain way. I think that's what that means. Mm-hmm, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, I, I don't think that's a a desire for persona itself but hey i mean i can't speak for people yeah yeah um i'm super yeah. keen to play it but there's other things hmm. there's other things to play there are other things um, i am so like weirded out at the like the con the 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 possibility of playing this without the context of the persona 5 mm-hmm. game underlying to me that is very bizarre because 
I walked into this with this very like close connection to all of these characters already, yeah. right? And you'd be going in without any of that, and I obviously that's possible. You don't need to have played it. Like I'm looking back, and it's like you don't need to have played the first game to appreciate this, but. It's going to be super weird, uh, and I'm super keen to see if you end up doing it in that order and what you think of it because of that. Well, look, like if that, they but... just gave me Persona Five on PC or a Switch, like I'd be down. I'd be down. So, but that's yeah. not possible. So precisely. Oh, Atlas. Yeah, I know. Yeah, what what are you gonna do, right? Exclusives, mm. Phil Spencer, Yay. Daddy Phil Bills. Yeah, up. yeah, maybe <laughs> make it happen, Phil. Mm. Uh, Killing Floor mm. Two. You still on that? KF2, uh, yeah, I get um, mouse itchy. Mm-hmm. Is that the right term? <laughs> you know, you, when you spend all your time on a console, you sit down on the computer to do work, and you're like, man, I remember when I used to use this mouse for video games, and uh, it don't get more PC video gamey than a shooter. Mm-hmm. And KF2 is one of the, my favorite feeling ones out there. Uh, at the moment, um, I'm I'm a bit reluctant to reinstall Team Fortress 2. Yep. Just to just to shoot things, but that would actually be my favorite feeling shooter of all time would be TF2 for sure. Huh. Um so yeah, just killing for 2, nothing new out yet. Just went back in and played a bit and trying to relearn the muscle memory to push suicidal difficulty because I have too many hours in that game and that's where I should be mm-hmm. playing now. Mhm. You're a madman. And then other than that, just uh, a lot of cards, a lot of card games. Well, a lot. I say a lot. Some card games to fill in the gaps here and there. Uh, and by card games, I mean Hearthstone Battlegrounds and Magic Arena The Gathering. More more magic. You're always, you're always in the magic. I, I learned uh, recently that in Magic Arena, uh, The Gathering Arena, there is a limit to how many tokens you can spawn for yourself uh-huh. um, in the game. So sometimes card effects will be like, make a copy of a card, it is a token, which is to say, if it ever leaves the battlefield, it doesn't yeah, exist yeah. anymore. So if an effect says it goes back to your hand, it's gone, right? Um, and, you know, there are certain effects in the game which are, for lack of a better word, uh, stupid. <laughs> um, for example, there's an enchantment that uh, reads... Uh, anytime you would create a token of a permanent you control, make a copy of that token. Make an extra copy, like make double or, or you know, whatever, right? So I saw a video where um, they kind of abused that and would have made something in the order of like 300 tokens. Mm-hmm. Um, the game, possibly in the patch that uh, introduced it to mobile, uh, caps the amount of tokens of any variety that any player can have to 250. Right. So, it just... It doesn't matter for 99% of the players, ever. But just a super interesting fact of... Yeah, this is not a faithful recreation of the physical game. Because in the physical game, you can just do the math and say... I make this many, put down a piece of paper and write the number yeah, on yeah, it. Yeah. Right? That's how you do it in physical. Um, But in Arena, it has to populate the game with a single entity of every one of those tokens and it it can't do that it literally just it used to be able to allow that in previous patches and i've seen the game grind to a halt <laughs> as it like tries to process all of it and it can't this is why uh, this, and i've seen like th- this is hmm? just what happens when you're living at the bleeding edge of trying to break this card game blue <laughs> 
Yeah, no, but like Magic is inherently this card game that is breakable, yeah. right? I also saw limits on how many times you can loop an interaction. So in paper, you can what you do in tournaments is you go, I'm gonna do this in response to me doing this, I will do this and this and this. And then if that loops forever, you can then just go and I loop this twenty times or a hundred times to get a million damage and I kill you, right? In paper, you can just say that. In fact, in tournaments, if you don't say that and there's a loop and you try to play it all out to waste time, you can get penalized for that. You know, when you have established a loop, you must just do right. the loop and say that you've done it X amount of times. But Arena doesn't recognize loops, so it forces you to do every single action. But it also places a limit on how many times you can hold priority. Mm -hmm. How many times you can just stop the game and say, I want to do something here. Because it, it thinks that there's an error or... or it's trying to account for the case where a player is fucked yep. up, right? And so you can't... Like, I saw a guaranteed kill loop get shut down because the client just went, no, you can't wow. do that. that kind of sucks. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's super interesting to see where digital and paper just kind of clash. And that's one of the great things about Arena has been like kind of looking at the seams of where this is why it has been so hard for so many years to make any decent digital magic game. Mm -hmm. Because when you really allow everything that magic is able to do, it is a beautiful thing. But it's also horrible because it was designed for paper where you can take shortcuts like saying, I do this. Yep. And Magic Arena doesn't allow you to do that. Right. Gotcha. Interesting. So that's been super fun. Super fun. Yeah. I'll, I'll have to watch you break this sometime. I'm kind of keen. Sure. That sounds good. What have you been up to, Steve? So I finished The World Ends With You. That game... Oh, claps for that. Yeah, claps that game that. is um, surprising. Very surprising game. Um, I know I'm late to the party because it's about 10 years old now. Um, uh, closer to 20 at this point. Whoa, really? Wow. I think so. Way to feel old. Yeah, because it was um, <laughs> first half of, of, the, uh, of the 2000s, right? Yeah, I guess it was. Oh no 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 no! It was it was two thousand seven. Okay, closer to fifteen. Yeah. Then that game okay, is but, interesting. Yeah, because I have never played a modern video game, particularly on my Switch, that just mm -hmm. controls so poorly, especially for <laughs> a big budget. Mm -hmm. Um, so for those who don't know, this is a direct port of the mobile version of the game. So much so that you get end credits and there's no, like, exit button, no nothing. No, like, menu that mm -hmm. you can go to. You just have to, like... That's awesome. Go to the Switch menu and finish up. Um, <laughs> That's awesome. There's no save button. It. it just automatically saves whenever you exit from the, the menu options and then you just have to trust that it did save yep. before you turn it off. Um, yep. It's... The, the Switch has technically has touch controls, but it's not a touch control system. So it's not accurate mm -hmm. enough for what the game needs you to do. Um, and, and from accounts, it never has yeah. been. And then I used the Mario Maker stylus and that helped out a lot. Um, but still, like, mm -hmm. I was doing wrong moves and all that sort of stuff. Uh, I tried the motion controls because I wanted to play it on my TV for a bit because it's a good looking game. Mm. Um, and that was yep. just unplayable i don't know how anyone in the history of the world could play that thing with the motion controls it's just terrible every two moves it would need to be recentered and recalibrated and then like 
it wasn't really doing any tracking whatsoever. It was wild. It was so bad. Um, mm. But the game's fun. The game's good. I like the style. I like the flair. It's pretty tropey, but then I had moments where like, I was like, oh, yeah, of course, this is going to happen. And it didn't play out the way I thought. And I was like, oh, wow, they didn't take the easy thing. Mm. Okay, where's this going? Um, mm. It's just a fun game. It's just a cool game. It's quite dark. Yeah. Um, but what was really interesting is it yesterday is. I had to go into the city and I went in early and went to Shibuya. And just seeing mm. some of the locations from the game, like now yeah. and how similar they are, but also how different they are, um, was really cool yeah. because unlike most games that I've played based in Japan, it's not just the Scramble Crossing. Like the Scramble Crossing is in there, but it's a bunch of different other places around yep. Shibuya. Yep. Like so much so that I'm actually thinking about doing a photography project where I go take, you know, a handful of photos at each location in the game. Um I don't have anyone to cosplay as, I, as phones, but I want to maybe do something uh, with that because it's super cool and gives <laughs> me an excuse to go visit yeah. some parts of Shibuya that I wouldn't normally go to. Yeah. Um, I I don't know if I've ever talked about this with you, but so I, I've liked a lot of Japanese media. And I, I, I mean that in the sense of, you know, really enjoy the storytelling that they do and all that. And it's an I find that an easy way to get into the culture of things. Mm-hmm. Now, when I visited Japan... I have never had this feeling before of deja vu from being in public transport. Yeah. Because as the trains go around the city and you look out into neighborhoods and and building clusters and you realize, oh, all of these mangaka, all of these anime artists, their inspiration is walking out the door and taking a photograph. Yeah. Like that's their reference photography. So... To then see that with your own eyes, like, that's a random T intersection with a vending machine in it. Why does that look familiar to me? I can't place where I've seen that, but I've seen that in so many anime, you mm. know? And that's a that's an undescribable <laughs> feeling to me. I don't know how to, like, really explain it. So, yeah, I know exactly kind of what you mean, I guess. Not not exactly, but I definitely know kind of what you mean with Oh, yeah, you can just see the, the places. Because you would have been in Japan for so much longer than you would have had exposure to these kinds of media. Yeah, yeah. It's right. it's this weird thing. I Actually, um, Waffle and I, Blasphemous Waffle and I were talking about this yesterday. Um, mm. Like, li- living in Australia for most of my life, mm. uh, like, outside of Forza Horizon, like, none of them, it's not really depicted in yeah, games, no, in nothing. an interactive space, yep. right? Yep. Um, yeah, yeah. And GTA did LA really well. And I spent quite a bit of time in LA and that was kind of weird because I recognized Mm. places that I'd been, but there's something about the way, like it's just so pixel perfect. A lot of the way it's depicted in anime and games here that it's just Mm. kind of weird. Cause yeah, you do feel like you've been there before. Um, and I don't even watch a lot of anime and I feel that way. So, you know, it's kind of like, I can only imagine someone who like, has grown up obsessed with manga and anime and super into that stuff mm. would feel coming here. Like it must be a pretty surreal experience. Yeah. I, I think it's just that the artists are very good at capturing the feeling of what a place looks like. It's a, it's a term that, you know, if you're into photography is used, if you're into landscaping, it, you know, it's used of the feel of a place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that mangaka and, and anime artists, they, they have an innate way of doing this. Yeah. Where they capture the feel of a location very, very well. 
and that's what carries over. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So I don't know. I might do a, a little project um, based on that because I, I really be enjoyed cool. my time with the game. Um, yeah, Blue. I did a whoopsie. Uh yes. We, you have told me about this whoopsie. Um, I I don't think it's a whoopsie. For the record, I think it's really um, cool. I uh I started Final Fantasy Ten. Um, yeah. I, I after listening to Into the Did Aether, you start it thinking you might bounce off? Yeah, I right before Monster Hunter Rise comes out and like a backlog of games, and after like listening to this podcast that kind of got me interested and in us talking about it, um, it just so happened that Final Fantasy X was fifty percent off on the uh, Japanese eShop. Um, so I bought it and I've been playing it, and um, against all odds, I really like it. It's really good. It is character. Huh? This game has this game yeah, has character. Yeah, it's super cool. I'm like this game has, 5 yeah. hours in. I'm like I just got to Luca. I'm about to play some Blitzball, mm-hmm. I think. Um which let's be oh, honest, that's oh, 100% dude. why I'm playing the game because it has a weird future sport at mm-hmm. the center of its plot. Um yep. So I'm I'm kind of down for that. But yeah, I'm like I've never really played a classic JRPG before. Um, and I am starting off with one that's apparently one of the best. It's real good. It's real good. Yeah. I want to hopefully put you a bit at ease. Um, in terms of the Final Fantasies, 10 is potentially one of the shorter ones. Yeah. In my opinion. Mm. Um, you, I think your pace is a bit slower than mine, which makes sense because you're, you know, um, exploring the game and, and feeling it out for the first time. Right. Um, but I got to where I thought it was final boss at about 20 hours in. Oh, wow. And then I went off and did all the side stuff for another, like, 10 or 15 hours. Yeah, yeah. Right? But I got to final boss, and I think I would have been able to beat it at about 20 hours. Yeah, right, right. And so, hopefully, it won't take the rest of your life. Interesting. Interesting. Because, yeah, um, The World Ends With You, I finished in, like, 15 hours or something, which, even on how long to yeah. beat, it's, like, 25 or something. So, I don't know what the deal was there. Um. Uh, um, Final Fantasy games are not, honestly, inherently long. Persona games are yes. like when they say seventy hours in Persona games. Yeah, you're you're spending seventy hours probably in a Persona game. Uh, I'm a I grind, and my time in Persona games are still only about like for the seventy hour one, like eighty. Um, but Final Fantasy, I can grind a lot more because they just leave this giant open world for you to yeah. explore. And if you just go. Yeah, that's enough grinding. I'm going to go do the main quest line now. It's actually not that long, most of them. Uh, most of the 40-hour estimates are honestly closer to yep. 30. Um, and 10 in ten in particular, particular, I really do believe, can be a 20-hour. Yeah, interesting. I'm I'm just really mm. um, smitten with it. Like, I really... I think it's... I love how bad the voice acting is. Um, I love... And, like, yeah. I do realize, like, you know, it, this is the first Final Fantasy game with full voice acting. Um, yeah. I love how just bad some of the character models are i love the weird disparity between the amazing cutscenes and then the actual characters in the game mm-hmm. um and like I, I said this to you but like back in the day it felt like there was no disparity. yeah 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 yeah. well it's kind of weird right you know, because for, for all of us in the cutscenes, they're clearly young adults but in the actual gameplay i feel like i'm playing like 15 year olds um it's kind of weird <laughs> um and they certainly act like six years yeah 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 well. and like, like uh <laughs> you've got uh joe dimaggio with his mm-hmm. v- vocal performance that f- sounds like it was recorded on a rock band microphone 
in in an echoey hallway. <laughs> I'm like, there's just the production uh, value for the time, phenomenal. But now it's kind of funny. Yes. Um, but I'm, you know, even all that aside, like I'm really, really enjoying my time with the game, and I think it runs really well on the oh. Switch, and it looks surprisingly good considering its mm. age. Um, and yeah, I'm, mm. I'm planning to see it through, so I'm pretty excited. Mm. Um, I've stopped playing. How do you pronounce Yakuza main characters at the now? moment? That's how into this I am. That is crazy. Yeah, that is crazy. I think Yakuza is a much better game than this. Yeah, I don't know what my brain is just down this rabbit hole. Hey, it's a new shiny thing. You want to yeah. do it, right? You want to um, play it. But speaking of also, also mm-hmm. Final Fantasy is very light. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right, it's very light. Before you move on to the last thing you want to say, I want to have a question. How do you pronounce the main character's name? Uh, it's it's Titus. Yeah, I know this. Okay, but did you know I that did from not before? Know this, yeah, you no. know that from before. I did not know oh, this. Okay. I I can't even. Uh, I can't remember which podcast I was listening to. It's like Final Fantasy Ten has just started popping up in everything I listened to all of a sudden. Um, but they were talking about another game where they say his name for the first time, and they were like horrified. Disgaea. Yeah. yeah. Disgaea. Yeah. Not Disgaea. Dissidia. Oh, horrible. <laughs> Dissidia. Dissidia is where we got a lot of characters' names for the first time, and everyone's like, "Titus, <laughs> why?" I think it's French in origin. Right, right. Something like that. I mean, I, yeah. I. Oh no, I, I must. No, I'm thinking of Zidane. I'm thinking of Zidane. I would have thought it was Titus, but um, you know, because like the tide, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. But you know, water themed, etc., etc. Anyway, yeah. pretty cool game. Just curious. And, yeah, uh, I guess I'll Moving say on. here, Tree Charm. I was wrong. It's pretty good. Um, <laughs> but I've gone down a horrible rabbit. You'll never hear this blue as part of all this mm. a horrible rabbit hole of well there's like a bunch of games that i've missed out on and there's a bunch of games i'd like to go back yeah. to and like yeah mm-hmm. sure i could just get a emulation yeah, is good but i could yeah. just get a snes classic and be done um and instead i've ordered all the bits and bobs to build a mister um from portugal and i'm eagerly awaiting the four to six weeks delivery time on those and for those who don't know, the Mister is basically a field array programmable board. Uh, it's basically a bunch of circuit. Oh, that's such a yeah. It's a bunch of circuit boards stacked on one I another that. that you connect all up, and it's like a Raspberry Pi but on steroids. And instead of doing software emulation, it's actually doing like hardware accurate emulation of old consoles basically mm. from the yep. um, atari and amiga up to the sega saturn is what it will support mm. and uh i'm a madman and now i can once that arrives i'll be able to play all of these games that i've never played and some that i have and it's gonna be just wild and crazy and um it's all jeff gerstman's fault i blame him because he talks about <laughs> it almost weekly on the giant Bombcast. Uh, and I'm like, I'm looking for a new kind of hobby, tinkery project, and uh, I guess I could play Chrono Trigger. You know, so <laughs> some people are like, some people are like, I'll paint Warhammer minis, and you're like, I want to put together a console. Yeah, I'm just gonna build a console in a box that kind of looks like a guitar pedal, and I'm going to just play a bunch of stuff that I missed because I didn't play JRPGs growing up and a bunch of consoles that didn't have like the Neo Geo. Um, and yeah. In my head, you are Tony Stark in the cave from Iron Man 1. (laughs) (laughs) It's going to be interesting. Like I've always wanted to do sort of a bit of electronic-y project and, um, 
this will be a cool way for me to play A Link to the Past again. So awesome. Um, yeah, Mister on its way. Cool. So basically, for the rest of this year, you're going to hear me talk about Final Fantasy X retro games and then occasionally new games for videos that I'm making. Um, so so same vibe, just different. Yeah, topics. basically, basically. So um, yeah. yeah, stay tuned for that. Sounds awesome. Can't wait. So that about does it for this week. In terms of content, there actually hasn't been any content. I've just been too busy. Uh, Seamus from the Pixel Bytes podcast actually got a new job and moved house. So that's why that show hasn't happened. He's just getting settled. So hopefully we're going to be bringing that back in a week or two. We have a mm. Fights in Tight Spaces video coming soon. TM should be a week or two as well. I'm currently recording that and sending it over to Valen to edit. Uh, still working on the vampire thing, but yes, yeah, uh, Blue can agree. Work is getting out of control, so it might be a little bit longer or, 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 than yeah. usual. Yeah, w- work is definitely uh, ramping up it's ramping somewhere uh we'll let you know what the direction is later yeah uh, i would like to take this opportunity to also say that i believe a new platforms and pitfalls episode will be dropping on the 15th of this month wherein we talk about uh i think the official title is collectibles in plat Platformers? Yeah, collectibles and platformers. Sorry, this this one went over a couple of iterations. It started as secrets, and um, we we talk over games like, oh, let's see if I can remember the list of five because I can never remember all five <laughs> games. Mario Sunshine. I forgot number two already. Uh, I know the Messenger is in there somewhere. Breath of the Wild is in there. Um, Donkey Kong Country was number two. Donkey Kong Country two specifically was in number two, and the last game. Uh. Super Metroid. Hey, I think I got all five. Let me have a look. Donkey Kong Country 2, Super Mario Sunshine, Messenger, Breath of the Wild, and Super Metroid. You got the name of the episode wrong, though. It's Secret Collectibles. Oh. Secret. Oh, we still got the word secret. Yeah, okay. I don't know if I should reveal the guest, because it looks like there's a guest. There is, in fact, a guest, and... Uh, Let's leave a mystery. No, I can spruik the guest. Okay, spruik the, the guest. The guest because be, because the guest is from a, from his own. Um, uh, oh wow, words uh, podcast. So the guest is Connor. Last name I have forgotten. I'm so sorry. <laughs> from uh, an, a new and upcoming podcast, which is a, um, a a variation on his old one called I believe it's this and that. Like like this, like yeah, that. Like podcast. this, like that. Like this, like that. Yeah. Yeah, see, I remember things. I'm not even on the podcast. I know these things. Yeah, but you're reading. Yeah, it's true. And are a good person <laughs> in general, <laughs> like much better than oh, I Oh, God, am, you're so. a liar. Um, so, yeah, that'll be on the Pixels of Breakfast Network as well. So check out the website. That will be going up on the 15th. And, uh, yeah, I'll get videos out as soon as I can. Apologies about that, but it's the nature of the beast until uh, it's mm. not anymore. Yeah. As always, take care of yourselves. Yeah, take care of yourselves as always. And don't forget to pixelate your breakfast.